I mean, isn't it funny? I don't know if that's ever been you where you're like looking in the fridge, looking in the closet, whatever it might be, and you're like, oh, we don't, we got nothing to eat. Been there, done that? Realizing like, no, actually we have more than enough. And it's just really a perspective change that needs to take place that, that having that grateful heart changes the way that you view those things that we could consider not enough. Today we are closing out our three-part series called Thinkful, where we're thinking on the fullness of God that creates gratitude in our hearts. Today we're talking about thankful generosity. And last week, we closed our sermon asking the question, what kind of gratitude does the cross warrant? We were just singing, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. And that cascades up and overflows out to a beautiful chorus. And I say amen to Gino when he says, I love singing this song with you all, where we're all in here going, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. I love that. Because that is one, one avenue of the type of response that is warranted from the generosity of God. As I stated, I would contend that the cross warrants a gratitude that is not of this world because what we have been given is not of this world. There's nothing in this world that you could find that compares to what we have been given in Christ Jesus. A gratitude that makes all other pursuits secondary. When we look at what Jesus gave us, it creates a gratitude that causes us to look at all areas of our life, all other pursuits, all other things we could chase after and go, that's all secondary. Primarily, I want to pursue Jesus Christ. This type of of gratitude that changes possessions into tools for God's purposes, a gratitude that changes money into a means for missions, a gratitude that changes our schedules into strategies for living missional, a gratitude that changes relationships into opportunities for ministry, a gratitude that changes marketplaces into fields that are white for the harvest, a gratitude that changes average Joes into singular-focused warrior messengers, ambassadors of the benevolent king of grace and truth. That is the kind of response, kind of gratitude that the cross warrants. Now, today, I'm going to give a couple of disclaimers because today we're finally going to talk about how gratitude overflows into generosity and giving. And so here are my disclaimers. If you're new here, if this is your first time or you're relatively new, let me go ahead and make sure that you are aware this is the first time I will have taught about giving this entire year. So we're not that church, we're not that ministry who's always talking to you about giving. I'm not like the televangelist who's saying, if you give a $1,000 seed in this window right now, God's going to open up the heavens and pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. And we're also going to send you a handkerchief that I prayed over and it's going to bring blessings and prosperity in your house. Change the channel. We are not that church, and I don't want any of you, if you're new here, to go, oh, great, I found one of those churches who's always talking about money. No. This is the first time I've talked about it this entire year. There's one disclaimer. Another disclaimer is that I do not know, I do not see, and I do not know 
who gives what. I don't know who gives in our church, who doesn't give. I don't know who gives how much in our church. I refuse to know. I don't want to know. Please do not come up to me and tell me, well, you know, pastor, I'm a giver. I don't want to know. Because when it comes to discerning uh, the word of God and determining what I'm going to say from this pulpit, I don't want to be thinking about who might be giving how much and whether or not I'm going to offend a generous giver. So I want you to understand that because I don't want any of those things in your mind today while I'm preaching. And when I'm preaching, ultimately, I want James chapter 3, verse 1 in front of me going, not many of you should desire to be teachers because you will stand to stricter judgment before the Lord. And so I'm not trying to think about who's given what. I'm trying to think about what does the word of God say. Okay? So, so do me a favor and don't ever talk to me about you giving. I appreciate it. Thank you. I can serve you more faithfully if I don't know that. Beyond that, I also am just going to take the position of assuming that if you're faithful in the church and if you're a mature believer that you are giving. So I'm just assuming that's everyone because, and the reason I word it that way is that I'm assuming if you're faithful to the church and if you are a mature believer that you're giving because we will see in scripture today that generosity is a natural response to beholding the generosity of God. To the person who has received the grace of God, living generously is a response. And although it does look like being faithful and contributing to the church that is your local family, it is so much more than just that. That's one bit of it. It, it, it overflows into being generous with our time, being generous with our home, being generous with our possessions, being generous not just to the church, but to our fellow brothers and sisters, being generous to strangers, being generous to those who are in need, that when you have received the grace of God and have had a view of the immaculate generosity that he has provided to us, it makes you go, man, I want to be like that. That's the nutshell of the sermon. I guess you could leave now if you want to. We're getting into our bottom line, the main point of today's message right away. When you have received the grace of God in your life, generosity is a byproduct. No one looks at what God has done for us, looks at it honestly, believes it, and let it, lets it change their life, and then turns into, okay, now i got to keep everything close. See, when you realize that your biggest need is actually spiritual, not material, when you realize that your biggest need is a debt that you could never pay, and that that big debt that you could never pay has already been met, that, that large need has already been met by the otherworldly generosity of the grace of our benevolent king of the universe, Jesus Christ, the appropriate response and the natural response to that kind of generosity is grateful, sacrificial generosity, just like the sacrificial generosity of our Lord. One example of this is in Romans chapter 12. It's a very popular verse that I've quoted plenty of times. Romans 12 and 1, Paul, after preaching the gospel and giving so much rich theology, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, meaning in light of all this truth of what God has done for us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Pastor Stephen, he's talking about your body. He's not talking about money. That's right. Which one is harder to give? 
Like, is it harder to give a little money here and there? Or is it harder to give your life as a living sacrifice before the Lord? What he's calling us to here in Romans chapter 12 is a taller order than just being generous with our finances. He's saying, live your life as a sacrifice before God. Some other translations would say, in view of the mercies of God, meaning as we look at what God has done and the mercy that he's given us, mercy meaning God not giving us what we do deserve, being eternal wrath, but because of his mercy and his grace being him giving us what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness, which is love, which is compassion, which is his spirit, all that God gives us that we don't deserve. His mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve. His grace is him giving us what we don't deserve. In view of those things, man, the natural response is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. This is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A couple other translations say, this is your reasonable service. Now, when we look honestly at what God has done for us, the reasonable response is to give him our lives. And if we're giving him our lives as a living sacrifice, well, that trickles into every area. That trickles into our finances, into our schedule, into our family, into our home, into our work habits, our work ethic, into our relationships, into our conversations. Every area of our life is to be offered in response to what he has done. Again, when you have received the grace of God in your life, generosity is a byproduct. Now, you know why I taught last week about the profound gift of grace that God has given before teaching this week about generosity and giving. Why, last week I spent so much time stirring and reminding us of the grace that has been given. Because some of you don't need to be told to be generous. You don't need me to stand up here and go, the Bible says you better give. (laughs) Some of you don't need that. It's that you need to return to the joy of your salvation. Because me standing up here and saying, the Bible says be a giver, you better give. If your heart has not been changed, every opportunity to give to the work of the Lord or to the people of God is going to feel obligatory. It's going to feel like you're being um, manipulated to or that uh, it's a burden on you. But again, in view of the mercies of God, when you step back and you're honest with yourself about your sin and your need for a savior, recognizing you could never pay off the debt that sin has required and that God paid that debt with his son, Jesus Christ. When you look at those things, The response is an an insurmountable gratitude. Like if you had a debt of millions of dollars and you made $50,000 a year and you're just sitting here going, I'm going to be working this off for the rest of my life. I'll never be able to repay that. And then a benefactor came in and said, I got it paid. You wouldn't go, oh, great, thanks. Cool, so uh, have a great life and I'll get about my way now that I don't have that. You would be freaking out. You'd be dancing, spinning, jumping, shouting, singing, hugging, going, is there anything, is there anything I can do to thank you for your generosity? 
And if generosity in Christianity to you is all of these you better and you have to because it's expected, you will always be shouldering this burden when it comes time to give of, well, I guess this is what good Christian people do, so I guess I want to be a good Christian person and I want to go to heaven, so I guess I better give then you were always bearing a burden and you don't have the joy in your heart that causes what scripture shows us to be a cheerful giver. One who recognizes I have been given more than I could ever have in Jesus Christ. I have been given more than I could ever pay in Jesus Christ. And I want to, because of that, open up my hands and live generously with all God has given me. Some of us, it's that we need to be reminded of the gospel, reminded of what God has done for us, where we behold it in a way that returns us to the joy of our salvation because God loves a cheerful giver. And if if that's not us today, if it's not us going, man, I want to be a part, I want to contribute, I want to give, I want to meet other people's needs, I want to be charitable, I want to make room in my life for helping others and being generous with all that God has given me, then it means we've probably lost sight or maybe never truly found sight of the gospel. Because you can't look at that act and go, all right, I'm going to keep living my life completely centralized on me and my needs looking out for number one. You cannot experience the lavish, gracious generosity of God and respond like the seagulls on Finding Nemo. (laughs) Parents and grandparents are chuckling maybe. If you've seen Finding Nemo, fish come up to the top of the water and the seagulls all say, yes. Mine, 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 mine. You cannot behold the grace of God and his generosity and go, mine, 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 mine. When you behold the grace of God and the generosity of God, you just go, I want to be like my father. I want to give sacrificially the way he gave sacrificially and offering up his son without sin to pay for the sin of mankind. I see this in my daughter's lives too. The, the, hey, that's mine. My cup, my bowl, my toy, my doll, my dinosaur sword, if you didn't know that was a thing. Mine, 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 mine. And they say that because they want to keep close to themselves what they feel they are entitled to or something that they don't have that they want. But when they realize they've got more than they need or when they realize there's enough for them and others, they want to be generous. I was so thrilled. Uh, Friday, I had a daddy-daughter date with Joey. It was wonderful and incredible. And mommy had a date with Marley. And they did some fun things together. And... uh, Katie asked Marley, here's your choices. What do you want to do today? Do you want to go to see a movie at the theater, which she absolutely loves to do? Or do you want to bake some goodies and go give them to people? And Marley sat there and she thought for a minute and thought for a minute. And she said, I want to bake goodies and give to people. And I'm like, and then she started listing off people that she wanted to give to. 
And then beyond that, she said, well, can we give some to our neighbors too? And I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just so thankful because I've, God can't, God puts things in the hearts of people like that the way that we can't. And, and it would have been different if I would have said, honey, this is what we're going to do. And she probably would have been fine and excited to do that. But the fact that she wanted to gave joy to this daddy's heart. And Father God, when his children want to be generous, it gives joy to Father God's heart. Why? Because we're emulating his generosity. We're going to read, turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth in this letter that he wrote. And up to this point, he has been doing a lot of teaching about uh, gospel truths. He's been telling that if, them that essentially if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. God has changed you and made you new. And God has given us reconciliation where he's brought us back into the family through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Not only that, but he also has offered to us the invitation to be a part of that ministry, given us the ministry of reconciliation where we're telling other people, man, I've come back to God. You come back too. It's wonderful. It's life-changing. You'll never be the same. And after preaching all those things, he goes here in chapter 8 into talking about generosity, namely the generosity that he saw in another church. He's writing to the Corinthians here, and he's going to talk about the Macedonians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Notice he says the grace of God. I want you to know about the grace of God And these churches, grace is a word that shows up 10 times in this chapter. In this chapter where Paul is going to be talking to them about generosity and acts of grace. He's talking about giving when he says that, this act of grace. He mentions grace in this passage, in this chapter, 10 times. Why? To point our hearts again to the free, generous giving of our Father God. And to show this is the context in which generosity comes out of the heart of the believer. Not because we're commanded to, but because we behold the generosity of God and we respond accordingly like little kids who want to be like their parents. Like those who have received generosity, they go, what can I do in turn? And so he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, several te- er, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete or show so he should complete among you this act of grace. That's a phrase, this act of grace that we see multiple times in this passage, talking about giving. That act of grace is what he's meaning, is giving. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So pause. Paul begins this, this 
invitation into living generously by first pointing out the generosity of other believers, namely the churches of Macedonia. There's three churches that we know of that were in Macedonia, and uh, they were the Thessalonica, the church in Philippi, and the church in Berea. And he's talking to the Corinthians, a church in the city of Corinth in Greece. And he says, hey, guys, I got to tell you about the grace of God that was manifest among the Macedonian churches. Listen, they were going through severe trial and testing and affliction and the abundance of joy with their severe. What did he say? The severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme Poverty, interesting, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Well, Paul knows that, that generosity is contagious, that when we see other people being generous or giving lavishly or doing kind things for people in need, it stirs that up in us where we go, man, I, I want to do that too. And so he's pointing out the generosity of the churches of Macedonia saying, man, these guys, I want to let you know about the grace of God in their lives, that even though they were going through severe testing of affliction, because of the abundance of their joy and their extreme poverty, huh, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So firstly, we, we can see two things right here. One, generosity comes from a place of joy. This is what we're talking about, that, that when you receive the grace of God, it stirs up joy in your heart to the degree that you go, I want to give. I want to do this. I want to be generous. I, I might not have much. It's, he said extreme poverty. These people, we know that one of these three churches is the church in Thessalonica, the same church that we read from the letter last week where Paul told them, hey, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. The church that we know, many of their people were being killed, martyred for the name of Christ. And to that church, going through that, he says, guys, keep on rejoicing always, keep praying without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Now he's to the, Macedon, or to the Corinthians citing that church saying, man, their generosity, guys, is incredible. That in their affliction and their suffering and their extreme poverty, the abundance of joy that they had overflowed into generosity. That in their extreme poverty, they still went, man, we got like nothing, but there's got to be something we can do. What can we do? And he went on to say, and they begged for the favor of contributing to the needs of the saints. Meaning, they were sitting here going, Paul, please. We today, we have a phrase where we say, hey, would you do me a favor? And when we say that, it's always followed by a request of us wanting someone to help us out, right? Hey, would you do me a favor and go grab or, hey, would you do me a favor and help out with this? The Macedonians, so abundantly full of joy, are saying, Paul, would you, would you do us a favor and let us give? In their extreme poverty. Now, let me, let me be careful here and say, I'm not encouraging you to give in a way that would be detrimental to you for the welfare of your family. What I am saying is, that the generosity of God that has sunken into the heart of the believer 
causes that person, no matter what circumstance they're in, to go, I I want to be a part, I want to give, I want to be generous because what God has given me, and there's gotta be a way I can. Uh, Does it look like, honey, what what if we shut off Netflix for a while so that we could take that monthly payment and we could give it over here to XYZ ministry? Or you know, our friend is going through this, so what if we didn't, what if we chose for a month to not get our vente mocha latte thingy, and I'm not a coffee drinker if you can tell, and what if we said no to that for a month or something like that so we could take that collective budgetary item there and meet the need of our brother and sister over here who is lacking? What, there's got to be something we can do. That's the heart that is full of joy from what God has done. Generosity comes from a place of joy. Also, what we see is that we do see that relative to circumstance is that everyone gave according to their own means. But not only that, they gave sacrificially relative to their means. Because Paul said, man, they all, they were generous according to their means. And then he said, which I am a witness to. And then he went on to say, but also beyond their means. Paul looking at their lives, judging and going, man, they gave according to their means. But also as I'm looking at their lives, they're, they're actually giving above and beyond what you would expect someone in their circumstance to give. Caveat again, I'm not just talking about church. Before you're like, oh, he just wants everybody to give everything to the church so he can go to Cancun and sit on a yacht. No, (laughs) it don't work like that. You giving more doesn't make my salary go up. What he's saying here is these people deep, full of joy, abundance of joy because of what God has done, are, are giving according to their means, but also giving sacrificially beyond their means. See, we give according to our means. And what, one thing here is I want to point out a not enough mentality creates a clenched fist. If you feel like I don't have enough, your, your, your fist is always going to be clinging on to what you have. You're going to be the finding Nemo seagull, mine, mine, mine. A I have everything I need mentality creates an open hand. When you realize that God has given us all that we need, when you see in Matthew chapter 6, 33, that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's after he's talking about, don't worry about what you're eating. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Your heavenly father takes care of the sparrows and the lilies of the field. He cares about you way more than he cares about birds and flowers. If you're seeking God first, he's going to take care of you. This idea that I don't have enough will always cause you to grasp and clench your your grip to where you're unwilling to release. But when you have the grace of God in you, it causes you to live open-handedly, where you realize I've been given more than I could possess in the grace of God. I have more than I need because my ultimate needs are spiritual and they've already been met. And you know what? Just like Paul told the church in Philippi in Philippians chapters three and four, he's like, you know what? I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. If I'm rich, praise God, I'm going to be content. If I'm poor and suffering and in jail, praise God, I'm going to be content. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because it doesn't matter if I don't have enough. I have Jesus, and that's enough. And when you have Jesus to where that's enough, then all these things that you want to cling onto and grasp onto, when you have Jesus, it causes you to go, I've got all I need. 
Can I be generous? How can I give? See, gospel people are an open-handed people. Gospel people are an open-handed people, open-handed with their wallet. And again, I'm not just talking about church. Open-handed with their schedule and their time. Open-handed with their talents, with their skills, with their abilities, with their knowledge. Open-handed with their homes, their cars, their resources. It's looking at everything that you have and go, you know what? I've been paid for, bought with the price, the blood of Jesus Christ. All this stuff I'm just stewarding. It's not even mine. So God, what do you want me to do with it? How can I please you like my daughter delights in bringing a smile to her daddy's face? How can I please you and honor you with what you've given me? We saw that they gave according to their means. Listen, I hope this isn't a shocker to you, but I'm not a millionaire. I'm not. Not even close. I'm not expected to give as if I were a millionaire. And what we see in God's economy with the people of God is that we are all accountable to God to be responsible and faithful with what he's given us according to our means. You might give what feels like a massive amount to you that feels like a smaller amount to someone else. What happens is it's not about the number. It's about the heart of the individual and what each person has. And so the right question for us to ask is not, okay, give me the formula that I can enter in my calculator and spit out a number of what I should be giving. What we ought to be asking ourselves as believers is, what is generous and sacrificial for me? Because what's generous and sacrificial for me, not a millionaire, if you are a millionaire, oh, he's trying to get in the pockets of the millionaires. Just stop, okay? Because again, if you think this is all about church, then just don't even, let, just don't even give here, give somewhere else. But what is generous and sacrificial to me might be peanuts to someone else. This is where Jesus talked about the widow's might, where we see the account of a woman who gave the last two cents that she had. And for her, it was more than the people who were giving a ton, because for her, it was giving her last, giving her everything she had. And so it's not what we can do is we can go, man, I'm writing a pretty big check. All right, I must be good. Well, what is that relative to your life? Is it sacrificial for you? Where these Macedonians were going, man, we're in extreme poverty, but there's got to be a way we can, tr- can contribute. Paul, Paul, please let us. Do us a favor and let us help. So we give according to our means but also we want to be sacrificial. We want to give sacrificially. See, the heart that has been changed by the grace of God does not ask, so, so what do I have to give? What's that number? How much? Instead, it asks, how can I give? And how can I give more? That's what happens in the heart of the person that has received the grace of God. As we continue reading in verse 8, Paul says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's saying right here, I'm not commanding this. I'm not saying, hey, be this way. What I am doing is saying, let's prove your love. The modern term for what he's saying right here is, put your money where your mouth is. He's saying, you've said that you love God and that you love us and that you love his people. Prove it with your generosity. Put your money where your mouth is. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, one, he cites the generosity of the Macedonians, which is commendable, but then he cites the generosity of Jesus Christ, which is praiseworthy. He talks a little bit about the generosity of the Macedonians, and then he says, but remember, let's look at the ultimate example in Jesus Christ. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he was sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But he became poor, taking on humanity to come down into our poverty-stricken, sinful situation to save us and give his life. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That doesn't mean following Jesus is going to give you a Lexus. I don't care what the person on TV tells you. He's talking about spiritually poor and spiritually rich right here. But saying Jesus is the example, in fact, I'll say this, God himself is the prototype of generosity. He's the first example, the ultimate example. Why are we generous? Because we look at God who was generous beyond any capacity we even have to be generous. Romans 8 told us that he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he also not freely give us all things? We know the love of God and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the greatest payment that was ever made. See, our, test, our, genu- excuse me. our generosity is a testament to our genuine love where he said, prove it and put your money where your mouth is. Listen, God doesn't want generosity from you. He wants generosity for you. Let me make this clear. God does not need your money. Scripture tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God made silver. God made gold. We see in the New Testament where Jesus tells his disciple, go and catch a fish and you will find in that fish's mouth a gold coin to meet our need. God can do what he needs to do. God doesn't need us. He invites us to be like him because he knows what it does for us. He doesn't need our generosity But generosity does keep our affections, our hearts focused on God and the things of God, not the things of this world. Generosity is an act of obedience and trust where we show God, God, I'm putting you first and I'm trusting you to take care of me. This is not a sense of earning God's provision, rather a trusting response of obedience to his provision. See, generosity doesn't earn the grace of God. It is a response to it. We don't give to get from God. We give because he gave. We love because he loved. We're generous because he's generous. And if you're a Christian, that means the Holy Spirit has come in and changed your heart to where you have the heart of God in you. Not that you are fully and perfectly developed in that heart, but as we grow and mature as believers, we should more and more bear that fruit in our lives. And when we look at the generosity of God, it provokes generosity in us. I'll finish reading quickly out of time, but verse 10, and this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it, meaning that you wanted to be generous. So now finish it 
or so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Meaning, it's good that you want to be generous. Every believer should have that desire. And if you don't, you need to evaluate your heart and ask why, why you don't want to. He says, it's good that you wanted to. He says, now complete it. Complete that by being generous. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. What he's saying right there, in God's economy, it's all going to pan out and balance out. Listen, there may be times in your life where you are blessed and you have an abundance and you learn of a brother or sister in Christ who is not. And you go, man, I've got enough. I want to help. I want to give. I want to meet your need. Because there may be a day in your life where we don't know the future. We don't know what it holds. Obviously, 2020 taught us a whole lot about that. And what if comes a day where you're in a tough time and that person who you met their need now is in a place where they can help meet your need? This isn't just giving to the church. It is that, but it's also giving towards one another, giving to ministry across the world. And because of time's sake, I can't read and go there, but we do see further on in chapter nine, if we continue, that God loves a cheerful giver. Not the person who's like, well, I guess I have to, or I better. Listen, if you cannot do it out of joy in your heart as a response to what God has done, then go ahead and hold off. God is not honored by our begrudging, com compulsory, guilt-tripped giving. God is honored by the heart that joyfully and cheerfully gives. In the same way that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that he sacrificially reconciled us back to God and then gave us that ministry of reconciliation, his extravagant generosity results in generosity to him and to others. Man, I would love it if our church could be known. What if our church had the reputation of, man, those people at Word of Grace, they give like crazy. Like, I don't get it. Like, how can they even be okay with how much they give towards each other and towards things in the community? Well, it's because we just, we recognize what we have is not our own. That we could be generous with our, our time, our money, our, our possessions, our love, our hospitality, our kindness, our forgiveness. In all areas as a response to the generosity and the grace of God. Lord, thank you that you modeled for us the heart of giving sacrificially. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would anchor that same generosity in our hearts, that in all areas we would recognize that what we have is a gift from you and is to be used for your glory. Lord, put in our hearts that cheer, that joy of living generously, that our lives would attest and like Paul said, prove our love that we wouldn't see our possessions and our money and our things as something to be clinged on to, but as something to live open-handed with, being a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.